Hello and welcome to another episode of Bear Books. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. What have we got going on this week? We've got Robin Nix coming on in about two and a half minutes, three minutes, talking all things dead pretty. Excellent. That's the name of the book, by the way. It is the name of the book and it's a doozy. It's a really good one. And as always, whenever we get to talk to an author about something that we've recently read, it changes the way we think about the book, and we really like that. It does that all the time for me. So my impression of the book now may not be the same as what it is when we've listened to what Robin's got to say. I enjoyed reading Dead Pretty, even though, for me, the killer was predictable fairly near the beginning. There was an actual twist at the end of the book that took me by surprise that made it exceptional. I like the two main characters in this book. They are interesting and with such a wide array of supporting characters, if you like. I enjoyed the supporting characters, if if I'm honest. I enjoyed the book. At first, when I picked it up and I started to read it, I wasn't overly sure whether I was going to enjoy the two characters. But I love a good thriller. I love a murder mystery. So it's kind of my my sort of book that yeah however it didn't really take me long to think yeah this is this is good these two characters are brilliant but i just like the supporting cast of characters as well so i like cj's parents and i also like hamilton too yeah with cj's parents i know they had a complete turnaround part way through the book because of circumstances but there's two ways that dodgy parents can handle situations they can either bury the head and go ostrich and completely ignore the fact that they're not really rocking the parent gig or they can turn it around and own it Mm. and they turned it around and owned it and I was really impressed with that I thought yeah good people anyway let's listen to Robin and what Robin's got to say time to have a really in-depth conversation with our guest today, Robin Nix. We've been reading Dead Pretty and we have so many questions. So we're going to jump right in and April, kick us off with question number one, please. I will do. Yes, of course. Uh, Welcome, Robin. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you very much. So although we want to chat about all things Dead Pretty, it's not your debut novel, is it? What else have you written? I've written quite a few books uh, and then re-released them after getting the rights back from uh, a traditional publisher. But I've got Let Love Be Enough, which is a romantic suspense thriller, Music City Dreamers, which is a romance. I've got a sci-fi trilogy that I've written and I'm currently reworking to re-release. Then there's the archaeology adventures of Chase Stinson. And then Stolen Ambition was last year's release, which is, um, again, a romantic suspense thriller. So quite a catalogue, really. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I've been published since, oh, my first book was published in 2016. And I did six books with a traditional publisher. And then I wanted to, I wanted too much control, let's be honest. (laughs) I wanted a a lot more say in, in the product and the marketing and, and all the artistic directions of, of various elements of the of the whole process. So um, I parted ways with um, with my publisher, bought all the rights from my books back, and then 
got on the road to self-publishing in um, in 2020, 2021. Excellent. We do love self-published authors. That's <laughs> what we're all about. So let's have a chat about Dead Pretty because it is a bloody good read. I really enjoyed it. Um, you've got two main characters, CJ and Dak. And despite CJ's issues with neglectful parents and Dak's daddy issues, they are still both really strong, great characters with a lot of depth and emotion to them. Were you not tempted to make at least one of them a little bit flaky? I like the, the daddy issues because it's completely the, completely opposite to kind of what you automatically run to with, with daddy issues with yes. Dak. Um, I, I'm going to say no, I, I wasn't. Um, because there are no new stories and only characters, character development is really important to, to me in my books. So I think CJ is a bit flighty, but not flaky. Um, she's lost at the beginning of the book and finds herself by going back to the place that she really doesn't want to, to go back to. And I, I really like to give my characters a meaty background to make their interactions easier to write. Because if you know your characters inside out, if you give them all this depth, then they're easier to write. There's a saying, I think it's Robert Frost, um, no two people walk through the same river. Uh, so you create depth in your characters through the experience and that allows for a richer narrative. So I'm not one for writing kind of flaky characters because I like to write strong characters, characters who I'd like to go for a coffee or a beer with or have a really good meaty conversation with. So flaky characters in the same way flaky people don't appeal to me at all. <laughs> Good answer. So let's look at exploring Dak's character a bit by discussing how her job as an FBI agent specialising in cold cases actually influences her approach to life and relationships. Yeah, um, you're actually the first, kind of the first people to have picked up on that. It was um, a deliberate choice to make her work about cold cases because it's a direct metaphor to the the isolation that she's she's put around her, herself and her heart to family friends you know and lovers it's not that she's just not ev- emotionally available to to a lover she's emotionally avail- unavailable to anyone um including her family because you know her father died 20 years ago and as she say she's got daddy issues and she was a real daddy's girl and then her partner died five years ago, taking a bullet for her. So there's a lot of guilt associated with that. So the reason I chose her to be a specialist in cold cases was for that reason, that she's, you know, uh, at the beginning of the book, her heart's cold and she's, you know, very isolated, very separate from from all these people that she's she's working around and hence why she's moving around the country. So she doesn't have time to to get to know anyone or to get deeply involved with anyone, even as a as a friend. And um, we meet her in Salt Lake City, and she's already been there nearly a year. And Hamilton, her temporary partner, he's starting to chip away at that at that icy heart. And kind of, I like the the bromance kind of element of of that relationship and that partnership. They do have a really good relationship, don't they, for work colleagues? I love that. I think we're learning early with you that it's all about the depth and the thought that goes into everything before you even start, I think, maybe. Yeah, a little bit. 
<laughs> so I want to talk about the playful and consensually temporary relationship, the nature of the heat between Dak and CJ. I am an absolute fan of how you wrote this. Was it intended to inject a light-hearted element to the book? Um, yes, because obviously serial killers and murders are, are very serious and, and dark, um, as well as being, you know, thrilling. So the the romance in the relation in the in the book, I wanted that to be balanced and and have a bit of banter, so that you see a different side to Dak than that sort of very professional, very straightforward character that you see when she's at, uh, you know, at work. And this was about exploring one of the many paths to forever love, you know, the love at first sight and the friends to to lovers, all of those kind of things, but also to explore that sex can be fun and playful. And not really serious and, um, you know, doesn't allow for an expression of, of humour. Um, and then the temporary nature of it allows, I think, total freedom without any expectation. So because they weren't or they didn't think that anything was going to come of the of their relationship, they were allowed to be very much themselves. And that led to the vulnerabilities coming to the surface and being easier to share without any expectation, without any what comes next after this, you know, after the third date, we have to do this. And then after the fifth date, we have to have the talk. And that was just addressed in the in the first first and only date, essentially, when they went for, for dinner. It was like, we're adults. You're traveling around the country. I'm going to be going back to L.A. Let's just have some fun. And they were both on the same page with that. Yeah, I did like that part of it. And you are right. I think you would be more inclined to bear a lot more information than you would if you were thinking, oh, what if they don't like it? And what if they don't, don't get another date? Or you haven't got any of those worries. So you can just say whatever you want and it's absolutely fine. So well played. Thank you very much. <laughs> I must admit, I quite like that bit. What made you give CJ a mentor slash mother substitute rather than just a poor relationship with a mother? I've done another book where there was the just a poor relationship with um, with the mother. Family dynamics are one of the themes I circle regularly in in all of my books. And having a mentor gave CJ a reason to go and work with the Bryans rather than it being just to get out of the house. It gave her more of a reason and more of an emotional tie that hopefully then connected the reader to CJ more. Making the link more believable. Exactly, yeah. Rather, rather than it just being a job, it gave it more emotional depth. So it mattered more to her to go back to that place because they'd given her so much as she'd undergone her um, apprenticeship with them. And then, you know, uh, Iris had given her something that her mother hadn't given her. Mm. And CJ was under the impression that her, her parents were completely blind to that. So when Iris died, that made her parents sort of stop and reassess how poor they'd been and how neglectful they'd been of CJ. Hence, then you get the version 2.0 of the parents. <laughs> and CJ's had all this very expensive therapy to, to be, you know, empty vessel-like and just think, okay, if I'm going to have a relationship with them, I have to accept them as they are and just that's okay. And then she comes back and they're totally different people. Mm. So... It gave me a lot of things to to play with. And as I say, family dynamics is something that I, I love to sort of address. It's all about that character development, again, 
Yeah. Who we are as adults is very much shaped by who we are as who we were as children, the relationships we had or didn't have, you know, our family, our friends, our schooling, all of those things shape a person and shape the interactions they have with other people. So I have to admit when I when I read the first couple of chapters, I didn't like either of them. Jack or CJ? Yeah, neither of them. Oh, why? <laughs> So I thought CJ was like, oh, this airhead from Hollywood and, you know, and Dak was this, I really don't care about anybody or anything. Yeah. And I thought, I really hope these two people change a little bit as I get through this book. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, that's the that's the perfect thing. You know, a character should never be, at the end of a book, who they start as. You know, you, you your opening couple of chapters are your characters in stasis. You know, that's who they are. But you're hoping for that inciting incident, the development of the romance, the development of the plot to have a huge impact on those people so that they are not the same people by the end of the book. And you see that gradual change in them. And hopefully as the as they have, you know, plot points and exciting things going on, that makes that development um, believable for you as the readers. They're not the same people at the end of the book. Yeah. In crime. You know, the readers often just read for the crime and they don't really care about the character development. But obviously in romantic suspense, that's a very different thing, because if you've got even one unlikable character, then your reader's thinking, why? Why are you even wasting your time with Dak? She's she's not interesting. She's not a nice person to be around. And and or, you know, if you if you were team Dak and not team CJ, then you're like, CJ's flighty and she doesn't, you know, she's too worried about uh, going back to LA and being one of the it girls and and you wouldn't root for them to get together. As a reader, you do feel a little bit more invested if you're watching the characters grow from the beginning. So I think you're spot on there. So back to the relationship. <laughs> Incorporating one really well executed sex chapter it really enhanced the storytelling for me because it meant it didn't overshadow the rest of the plot, but it told us everything we needed to know about the dynamic between them, the sexual dynamic, the relationship dynamic, and where they could go if they really wanted to. I'm not a massive fan when every chapter's got sex in it. Yeah. How did you come up with doing it that way? Well, I mean, essentially, one of the the tropes of the book is it's one night to forever. So the the romantic trope within the within the book is that they have this one night and then you know that it's happily ever after. So the sex in that instance has to be a plot device that comes early in the book because otherwise then the development of the romance isn't believable. Mm. So it was important to kind of have that that sex and that vulnerability between the two of them and then from there the development of the romance was all about the conversation and fade to black scenes to allow for that balance of romance and the the suspense plot that was then threaded through the rest of the book because the book was always about the you know the the kidnapping and how that was related to the the two characters so it had to be that early on in order for it to to work as a as a trope because you have to have them have the sex and then develop that relationship and develop the conversations as well as still having sex because it was very much an instant attraction from the moment Dak comes from under the Mustang. There's an instant attraction on both sides. So as adults, 
you know, they they made that decision to to act on it and just go get straight into the into the sex because there was limited time. Yes. And then, as I say, it allowed for the rest of the book to concentrate on the developing romance and the depth of feelings and emotions that come along with exploring the vulnerabilities within the sex and also not overshadow the suspense plot within the book. It is the only lesbian romance that I've, well, not that it's a romance, but the romance in it. It is the only one I've read where it's been like that and it's not been a book full of. I am a huge fan of that. Thank you. Yeah, me too, because the, the more sex that's in a book, the more it just becomes about that and not about any of the story around it. Yeah. So the balance between the murder, the detective work, the partnerships, the family, the friends, etc., that's kind of what kept me reading. So was this book planned out? And I think we know the answer to this already. Was it planned out meticulously? Or are you somebody that flies by the seat of your pants and hopes for the best? <laughs> and the other thing that I wanted to know is what what led you to set the book in the US? Oh, okay. Um, I, I'm a, a, a terrible Americanophile, or I, I, I was as a youngster. Then I, I married an American and um, started going over there quite more regularly and discovered that actually America is not uh, as wonderful as I, I thought it would be, particularly, you know, just, just holidays for a start. You know, it seems to be that you you can you go to work, but if you want to go on holiday, then it's a big thing, and you only have one week a year. Whereas in the UK, we're quite spoiled, aren't we, with the the amount of statutory holiday, and then there's the politics and all of that stuff. However, <laughs> to get back to your question, I think that there's a lot more scope for the audience of a of, a, of an American book. So to set it in in America, they are the books that seem to sell better than a UK-based book. My editor is my wife, who's American, and then I have a proofreader who's also American and hopefully gets rid of all the Britishisms that I have. But I've always been fascinated by America and fascinated by, you know, I, I grew up on Hollywood movies, on Hollywood TV series. You know, I was the Fall Guy and Knight Rider and Airwolf and the A-Team and all of that sort of stuff. So it seemed like a natural place for me to go with with all of my books. I mean, every single one of, of my books as Robin is uh, is set in the US. It feels like a bigger playground um, mm. for me, as well as it, it being a bigger audience. Um, Americans like to read about Americans in America, <laughs> mostly. It's a good question because it's not really something I'd ever... I'd ever thought about. I'd not thought, oh, I should set this in England. It was just that the character came to me and she was an FBI agent. Or oh, the FBI is in America. So obviously the book's got to be got to be in America. And that's the same for, you know, for all my books. The Let Love Be Enough, the investigative journalist, she was American straight away. So when the characters come to me, they're already in place and, and fully formed within within their country. So I think that's why. That's why it's in America. It was actually one of the few things where there's no thought to it. It's just as it comes to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Perfect sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Almost like they're three-dimensional already and they come to you fully formed and you just play with them until they're doing the right things. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of the of the planning, um, I'm kind of in the middle. Okay. With my romances, 
I'm very much a panster. I have a what if question and I have my two characters and then I throw them together and we see what happens. And then I might have a page where I, I sort of have a, a variety of ideas of where they might get together and what scenes they might have. But for something like this, there's has to be more planning because of the clues and the way uh, a romantic thriller has to work and the genre expectations. I have this lovely stuff, this lovely white roll of stuff that <laughs> sticks to the wall and I slice it off and then I do these um, boxes with um, not a Sharpie, one of the wipe-off whiteboard pens. And I make all the boxes and then I'll put one thing that I want to achieve in that chapter, one thing I want the reader to know, um, one development for the character, something like that in the chapter and whose POV it's going to be in. And then when I get to writing, I just look at that little prompt and then off I go. So there's a certain amount of planning because I need to know when the clues are going to come in, when the killer's going to meet the detective, when you're going to have the red herring, etc. But within that, there's a lot of flexibility to expand and play. Um, and with this book, there were extra chapters that had to appear because sometimes, you know, like the first date, say, that was going to be just one scene, but they got in, they got to talking <laughs> and the fingers, were, you know, the fingers were going on the, on the, on the keyboard. And it got so, so long as a chapter that I thought I can't then do the sex justice in this chapter so it had to have um, a chapter break and then another scene so that messed with all my little boxes which is why i use the the whiteboard stuff rather than a sharpie uh, so a bit of, a bit of both to answer your question april there's um a fair amount of planning for this kind of, of book but then also um the flexibility to just kind of see where the see where the characters take me and what they start saying to each other thank you I love the way we get to talk about them like they're actual people. We have a nice juicy killer in Dead Pretty. Mm. It was a very good story. The killer was predictable for me, I will say that. Mm. That could just be because I do read a lot of dark stuff, a lot of dark stuff. Yeah. There was one element there, though, that I absolutely did not get, so thank you for the element of surprise. Yeah. I want to ask what sparked that surprise. It was inspired, and can you even answer this without giving away spoilers for people that haven't read it yet? Sort of. I'm going to try. Okay. The book was never about solving the case in the traditional way. Okay. So it was never about setting the clues and making it so that Dak could follow the clues to a logical conclusion and catch a killer. The point of this book was always the three characters coming together in an explosion because of a CJ correcting the artist's work. So the climax of the book was always going to be the kidnapping. So that therefore, I couldn't have it so that the the killer could be found by Dak. But genre expectation, she has to meet the killer and then dismiss the killer. And the only way that could happen is through the way that it happened at the end that surprised <laughs> you. So that Dak could be seen to be doing her job, following all the leads, seeing things to their conclusion, but still thinking, I don't, something's not right here. Yeah. Um, but you see, if it was, if it, 
wasn't that and she didn't follow through those things and you think she's a crap detective you know she did lots of speculation <laughs> and there's nothing worse there's um i'm reading a, a series of thrillers by a very well-known mainstream author with a female detective and for the first four books in the series the detective is saved by somebody else or the killer is found by somebody else and i'm like no your your protagonist, your main character, has to solve the case. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why there was that need for the twist. I you have to meet the murderer. That's one of the things that has to happen in a, in a in a thriller. But he had to be dismissed, and the yeah. only way that could happen was with the twist. We're probably driving everybody nuts now that hasn't actually read it yet. I think that's a good thing because they're like, oh, we must read this. Yeah, you really <laughs> must read this. <laughs> So I'm going to put you on the spot now then, Robin. So CJ, Dak, which one's your favourite? Ah, you see, for me, I have to love both characters equally. Um, so I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to disappoint you, I'm afraid, and not, and not say that I'm, I'm one for one or the other. If you don't, and I, I'm an editor as well, so I see this in, in other people's books, if the writer doesn't have the same kind of um, excitement and feeling for the, for both characters, one character will fall down. They won't be fully realised. They won't be as richly written. There'll be no connection to them for the writer. And if there's no connection for the writer, then there's going to be no connection for the reader. So I like to make both of my characters and my, my main characters in a book equally lovable for me. We have to forgive you now, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so that's my my answer. No, I don't. I don't have a favourite. And I think um, I'm not sure that I could say that I had a favourite in in any of my books, which is a good thing, given the logic that I've just given you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, you can't have any favourites now. So back to Dak and CJ's actual relationship. So, what was the actual turning point then between? It's free and easy and temporary and sex. And all of a sudden there's this realisation that actually it's not. It's not. There's something deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that comes when the artist uh, gets involved in CJ's life and threatens CJ. So the first note that's right. um, on a lovely Ferrari and she finds that and Dak's reaction to that. And then Dak's continued reaction to the second note and then the you know the patrol at the end of the driveway and when she sends them away and and CJ's off to go partying with her friend because she wants to celebrate her her Netflix deal so around that time is is where the relationship starts to go into something deeper and you know when the the captain challenges Dak and her involvement with somebody that's that's part of the case can you stay objective and her immediate answer is yeah of course I can but then she starts to analyze and thinks well actually you know no I can't and why is that and that's because this has gone beyond just um, a bit of fun and some fantastic sex excellent I know it's a minor thing well not a minor thing but it's not one of the big plot points but when Dak sat outside and kept a vigil that really touched a nerve with me. That's one of my favourite bits in the entire book because when I was 
young and hot-headed and I'm talking like 18, 20. When I was young and hot-headed, I had a row with my partner at the time and stormed off for a walk in the middle of the night. Yeah. I knew nothing about it at the time, but they'd knocked on next door and followed me the entire route without me knowing just to make sure I was safe. And that just brought back all these wonderful memories. So I really enjoyed that part of it. It really touched a nerve for me. Excellent. In the book then, Robin, what what's your favourite line from the book that perfectly captures the dynamic between Dak and CJ? I don't think it's as much, as a, as much of a line as the, as the exchange they have where um, uh, Dak asks CJ on a date and CJ's like, oh, you're that kind of butch. And that, <laughs> that, um, that sort of exchange where she's like, who are you calling a butch? I was dancing around in my heels before you came in. And that that kind of banter with them. So that little section there, I think, sets the sets the tone for how they're going to be with each other and how they're not going to take each other very seriously and just have fun. So I think that little section there is is kind of the thing that that is captures the dynamic between them perfectly. That makes sense. It does, yeah. So just for a bit of fun then, if Dead Pretty were turned into a movie, who would play Dak and CJ? I had a lot of fun thinking about this because I don't I don't normally do that kind of thing. I know um, I've seen other authors that have pictures of you know famous people and they think this is that person, and I, I don't do that because I want my characters to be very much themselves, um, so that they can come into my mind as as completely new people. Yeah. But now that they are on the page as completely new people, I thought who could who could carry this off? And it might surprise you. I don't know. But Charlize Theron, if she packed on some muscle, I could see her as Dak because she, I mean, she's been in quite a few movies where she kicks ass tall. And then she's also quite the method actor. I don't know if you've seen her in in Monster. Yes, she was brilliant in it. Yeah, she is. Fantastic actress. Yeah. And she completely transformed herself. She's got clearly got no kind of ego around the Hollywood ideal. And she, so she'll do anything for a part. I feel like she would hit the gym, pack on 40 pounds of muscle and really carry off Dak really well with the short yeah. hair and everything like she has in, um, in the Old Guard movies. She's got short dark hair in it, hasn't she? Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. I'm seeing your vision. There's another one of those coming along. Yeah, excellent, excellent, good. I'm glad my casting director agrees. <laughs> um, and then... CJ I had a little more trouble with, but I settled on Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Now, what's she been in? She was in Crazy Stupid Love opposite Ryan Gosling. I think she was the voice talent of Eep in The Croods. Uh, I think she was opposite Ryan Gosling in the dancing movie as well. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm getting a vision. (laughs) So I think she would make a a good CJ because she's sassy. And she's, um, if you, I don't know if you've seen Crazy Stupid Love, but she's she's got a lot of smart banter, um, and so I I think she could carry CJ off very nicely. Excellent. April was thinking about this also, and she had a couple of ideas. Who did you say? I did. Yes, I, I had a I had a couple of ideas, but obviously they're older uh, older actresses. Hmm. And one of them was Archie Punjabi from The Good Wife. All right. Oh, okay. She's quite tiny. She is quite tiny, but. If you look at the at the the sort of part that she plays in there, mm. gets into quite a few fair few fights that she doesn't lose. Yeah, 
and then the the other one was the person who plays Amanda Rawlings in um, Law and Order SVU. I'm going to go and watch it now just to see and <laughs> compare notes. <laughs> and then when obviously somebody picks it up and 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 goes to casting and and comes to me, I'll have to come and get you two and say I I can't possibly cast without without these two being involved. <laughs> I'm holding you to that. No problem. <laughs> we need this movie to be made. <laughs> are there any other characters that are in the story that you'd like to take further, Robin? Well, I'm just to put the finishing touches to Dead Ringer, which is the second Dak Farrell book. Oh. Um, so Dak's gone, Dax and CJ have obviously gone into that. Um, Hamilton is is off doing his... FBI special training, so he's in it but not in it. And then I've got a cameo from Ice from Let Love Be Enough, and she'll have a larger role as the series progresses. And strangely enough, I, I wrote Ice was one of my the first characters I wrote way back on on my first book, and her name's Ice Hamilton, and she's a kick-ass character. So she's, I mean, she, she's one of those people you know could just kill you with one fingertip kind of thing. And she's really sort of dark and mysterious in Let Love Be Enough. And um, I was writing Dead Ringer and I, and I suddenly had, the, because Elodie and um, Madison from Let Love Be Enough come into it because we're in Hollywood, so there's kind of those same uh, same circles that people are, are, are moving in and they have the same agent. So I was going to have... Elodie and Madison in and I suddenly thought oh Ice would be a, a good thing and then I, I put two and two together and I thought Ice Hamilton and Dak's partner is Hamilton and I thought oh Ice is his older sister so she's going to come and have a little word with Dak to make sure that Dak looks after little brother <laughs> um, so so yeah that that was just it's weird how the how the mind works and kind of puts these things in and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's a good idea. And it turns out you can put these breadcrumbs to to lead to others as you as you build your books to kind of exist in the in the same universe. Yeah. But these are all people, characters that you know in inverted commas. So why wouldn't they occasionally meet? Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a natural order of things. <laughs> I was going to ask if Dead Pretty was going to have a sequel, but you've kind of answered that already. So what does the future look like for you? Well, I will be seeing how, how Dead Ringer um, flies in February. And then I'll be concentrating on re-editing and reworking my trilogy, my sci-fi trilogy, and re-releasing that. Mm. And then I'll be moving to a, a Helena romance and then back to a, a Robin Nix book, which will either be Dead Right with um, Dak and um, and Hamilton, uh, or the third in the Chase Stinson series, My Little Archaeologist, because I do love Chase and Rain as well. So we were chatting about pseudonyms before we came on to the interview with Robin. So tell everybody about your pseudonyms, because they won't get the Helena reference Sure. Um, so I write kind of dark, thrillery, gritty, deeper kind of stuff as as Robin Nix, but then I write the pure romance as, as Helena Hart. So it allows a kind of a nice separation so that people don't pick up a, a Robin Nix book expecting lots of bodies and dead bodies 
and get lots of bodies writhing around having wonderful sex instead. (laughs) Because I I wrote a romance as as Robin, uh, Music City Dreamers, and it it didn't do well, (laughs) let's be fair. It followed Never Enough and um, a sci-fi trilogy, all of which were quite violent and and dark and worked around themes of redemption and and that kind of thing. And and again, dark family kind of stuff. And then I followed it with a with a lovely fluffy romance, and I think it shocked people. So it it seemed to be a natural kind of progression to create a new pseudonym, to have a fresh start, so that Helena's words could be looked on as Helena's words with no association with the dark sort of gritty stuff that that I write. Um, so that's that's why I've got the the two pseudonyms. Thank you. And so, where can people follow your journey online? I'm all over the place. <laughs> I'm always with the next shiny thing. Um, I'm Robin underscore Nix at, on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Um, obviously, I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, and then I've got RobinNix.com, which is my, my website. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Love it when we get to follow the journey. It's like when we have these conversations, we sort of, we feel a little bit like we're adopting authors. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get a bigger and bigger stable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's wonderful, isn't it, having that that community? Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. One of the best things about podcasting, I think, we meet so many people and there's so much talent out there. Yeah, there really is. I mean, the particularly in, in sapphic fiction now, there's just such good quality coming out. You know, say 10 years ago, readers had very little choice so they would read lots of stuff that maybe wasn't as well written or edited as it as it might have been but now people are investing more in their craft they're creating really great stories and really great books and it's just it's it's a fantastic wealth of lgbt characters out there lgbtq characters out there that people can see you know see themselves between those pages and it's just i think it's really really powerful what's going on at the moment Perfect. Imagine what it was like in the 80s, because I, I remember Ruby Fruit Jungle. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah. And I went into the local library to find it. It's like, you've got to order a copy. It took about six weeks to arrive. Yeah. No disrespect to Rita Mae Brown, but it was awful. Oh, dear. But it was the only book at the, that was kind of really available. That's the thing, isn't it? Back then, there was hardly anything for us to to read and see ourselves in the pages of that we you know we weren't just uh tokenistic characters or you know we died in the end or we went to prison or a mental health institution because we were gay or or worse yet just went back to a heterosexual relationship and saw the light yeah whereas now it's not you know we we had the romance kind of big romance period and now we're moving into all sorts of genres so it's like a big fat waterstones full of of queer and LGBTQ people. Uh, so that it's not just about their their sexuality. They're doing all these things. They're getting the girl. They're getting the guy. They're getting the non-binary person, and they're they're having their happy ever afters whilst yeah. having fantastic careers as well. It's it's wonderful. Fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. It's been utterly enlightening. I've loved every second of it. I've, I've had a ball. Thank you very much for, for bringing me on. And, and thank you for doing this as well. You know, it's, it's an important thing to, to get 
authors out. It's um, it's a an honour to be on the on the show and and kind of get out to all those readers that you've got. Sorry, listeners that you you know you've got both readers and listeners. Yes. Yeah, so thank you very much for for inviting me on the show. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. That was a, a good interview. Thank you very much, Robin, for that. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Daisy. Who's your favourite character, Dax or CJ? <gasps> um, I don't know if I can choose one, although my excuse would not be as good as Robin's. <laughs> no. I like them both. I'll, um, I'm going to say Dax because I'd be more inclined to fancy her. Okay. You see, I'm not that enamoured with stick thin Hollywood types so I don't, I don't know I, I tell you who I did like CJ's dad I thought he was hilarious yeah seemed to be very open-minded didn't he yeah he did but it was it was just so funny so CJ arrives home to these two parents who now want to get involved in a life and a, <laughs> and, and cooking meals for Dak and doing all this kind of thing and CJ's like perplexed at what's going on Where's my starved childhood gone? Yeah. I think she needs to put some weight on. Yeah, I do. CJ. Obviously not Dak. Dak's already boss. Yeah. I did think it was funny when she was eating and it was like, oh, I need to not eat this because of the calorie intake. And Well, now that she's not doing the same job. She might be able to have a decent meal. Yeah. To live a normal life. Well... <laughs> What am I talking about normal life? There is no normal life in this book. No, there isn't. I did enjoy the book, though. When I read the first sort of couple of chapters, I thought, these two people, oh, my God, no, I'm not going to get on with them at all. But Robin's right, the characters did build. They did get more depth. They did get more, for me, likeable as the book went through. And, yeah, I, like you, saw them as actually living, breathing people. Yeah. My favourite bits about the book in... Bullet points. No sex till chapter 11. Yay. Instant attraction. Loads of lust, not love. Yay. They both see it as temporary, so they're singing off the same page. Love that. So it's just a fling. And when they do get round to the sex, it's hot. So it's a very good book for me. Yeah, I liked it. But I also liked the cast of characters in and around them as well. It's a very full story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's not just centred on the two main characters at all. And it has a lot of depth and a lot of substance to it. It's not a fluffy romance. I think that's most probably why I liked it more than anything else, because it was a, a thriller more than just a romance. I'd recommend it. Anyway, speaking of stories, have we got some stories coming up next week? You are right. Next week's episode is going to be Flash Fiction. The writing prompt is The Unseen Neighbour. What does that conjure up for you? The fact that they never come out of the house. They're not so there. They're a recluse. They're, they're a dead. ghost. They've been dead for years and nobody's noticed. How sad is that? That putrid, slimy smell seeping out of the bricks. Okay, okay, you little sick individual. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what um, the unseen neighbour conjures up for me just yet, but I am sure I will think of something. <laughs> And I absolutely think you need to sort yourself out because it's actually not the unseen neighbour that's coming up. <gasps> what is it? It's, and she made a poor job of it. She made a poor job of? Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. So? You made a poor job of that, didn't you? What? 
you made a poor job of introducing it, didn't you? Absolutely shocking. Fancy thinking it was the unseen neighbour. That's in a fortnight. What are you like? That just means everyone's got even longer to write that one. That's true, they do. So what have you got in your head for she made a poor job of? A bronze statue. Of? I'm not telling you. You'll have to wait. So what's wrong with it? Is the bronze statue making a poor job of being a statue? Did somebody make it wrong? Mm, it's got a bit of a twist to it. Okay. It's all centred around an incestuous court case. Incestuous court case? Ooh, now I'm intrigued. Mine's dead fluffy. It's not. I like yours. Yeah, I can't wait for you to read yours out. I think yours is really sweet. Anyway, everybody will have to wait until next week. And on that note, it's time for us to go. Sad times. But we will be back next Wednesday, as always. Until then, take care of each other. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to send in your flash fiction submissions, you just need to email us at beerbookspod1 at gmail.com. And now that you're part of the Beer Books family, why not share us with all the bookworms and creatives in your life? <laughs>